Church, how are you feeling? Uh, some of you are feeling okay. Let me ask that again. Church, how are you feeling? Yes. And, uh, and, and equally as important, are you ready for God's word? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I want to start off our brand new sermon series. It's entitled um, Real Love. Real love. You know, when you find real love, it's worth more than its weight in gold. I mean, it is the most valuable thing you can find is real love. And I can tell you that because my wife is a huge blessing to my life. I can remember finding real love and I had never experienced it before. Um, and we were, we were dating, we were very, very young. In fact, we started liking each other when I was 15 and you were 13. And so uh, we liked each other all through high school and I remember being in, in college, I think I was a senior maybe, and, and you, were, you were sophomore somewhere in there, in, in high school, that is. And she, she professed, confessed, whatever you want to call it, proclaimed her love for me. And it, it just did something to me. It, it changed me. And you know, they talk about butterflies. I don't know what those were, but there was all kinds of fluttering and weird stuff going on in here that this guy had never felt. And so I wanted to reciprocate. And guys, I would, I would suggest if you've never done that, to practice, because girls are so much better at it than guys are. At least, I, I was so nervous, I was so nervous. And I, and I remember, um, I, I go, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. And I said, you know, love, uh, or, or you know, babe, I used to call her baby. Baby, um, I think I love you too. And you know, as... She focused on the think instead of the love part. I mean, you know, I don't know, but that was pretty good for my first time, right? Going like, I think I love you. I don't know what this is. That's what I was trying to communicate. I've never felt like this before. So if this is love, then yeah, I'm going to go for it. But I should have just been more affirmative. Just said, I love you, right? I should have just gone for it that way. And so I can tell you this, that her love changed me. How many of you know when you experience real love, it changes you, and there's nothing greater than the real love of Jesus Christ and the sacrificial gift of the cross, it will change your life forever. I know she made me a better person. I wanted to be better. I, I wanted to be the best I could be for her. I started seeing myself different. Can I tell you, when you experience the love of Jesus, you'll start seeing yourself different. You'll start feeling different. You'll feel forgiven. You'll feel completely washed and new, and you can live the best life you've ever imagined. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, above and beyond whatever you could hope for, imagine, or dream, that's the love of Jesus Christ found at the cross. And so today I want to talk to you about that real love. Real love. And I'm going to start at the beginning. Yes, the very beginning. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And so he spent six days creating. Let's drop down to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, what is this our 
The Bible's talking in terms of the triune God. I find this amazing because the triune God is uh, three in person, one in essence. Meaning there is one God, but there is three distinct persons of that Godhead. You say, well, that's confusing. Well, guess what? God is bigger than your box. And what you do is you read it and you understand that it must be this way because God is love. And you cannot have love without relationship. Think about it. If it was just God the Father, then he's the lover, but who's the lovee? Well, we would be the lovee, but we haven't, we haven't existed in eternity past. We came to exist at one point. Who did he love before us? And if God is to be love in essence, then he has to have a relationship by which that love can exist. And that relationship is the relationship within the Godhead of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when the Christians say God is love, they mean it. Amen. They really mean it. And so it's this us that's speaking here, this the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They make man in a very, very special image. Now let's go on to chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Now I want you to highlight this because he has something he's supposed to be doing. Man and woman are doing something but that something changes drastically after the fall. And we'll talk about that here in a second. <clears throat> and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what will happen if you eat of the knowledge of, true, uh, of, of good and evil? You will surely what? That means absolutely it's going to happen if you do this. Now let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Has God indeed said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Notice the question. It's, it's a sneaky question, isn't it? It's a specifically calculated, worded question, trying to see how well she was paying attention. And, and, and here, goes, here goes the woman's response. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now I do know this, that the Bible indicates that God told the man, now I don't know if God came back and told the woman uh, as well, or if Adam related to the woman, uh, to his wife, or if she ad-libbed or if Adam added that one little part, but there's a part there that, that God didn't, in, didn't include, nor shall you touch it. This sounds like a man would, would say that. It's kind of like when you go, I, you know, I, I don't, babe, we, we need to cut back on our spending. And then, and then after a while, you're like, you know what? 
I don't want you spending any money at all, like none, not even on sale, nothing. Don't even touch the credit card, right? Anyone ever been there? And, and you could see Adam saying, don't even look at it, touch it. Don't. But either way, the enemy says, oh, really? You shall surely die. Now watch what the enemy says in verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Isn't it interesting that the enemy always refutes or, or comes against God's word? Immediately comes against God's word. You know what I find so interesting is that you have Christians that refute God's word or, 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 or refuse it or deny it. And they don't connect the dots that it's the enemy working in them and through them. Anytime you deny God's word, uh, go back to the beginning and see who's the one that's influencing that denial of his word. Because it's not God, it's, it's the enemy. So he says, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Now, is he lying? We'll see. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, is he lying? Yes, he is. You will not be like God. Can I tell you, it's the same old lie being told today in New Ageism. You can reach a certain level of enlightenment and be like God. Can I tell you, that is a lie. It's a straight-up lie. It's the oldest lie in the book. It's found right here. So watch. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this, this is lust of the, nope, flesh. Food nourishes your flesh. Watch. And it was pleasant to the eyes. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Which one's left? Pride of life. What's next? And a tree desirable to make one wise, like God. Isn't that pride? Pride, wanting to be like God. So you have here exactly what Jesus warns his disciples about. Be careful of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's the enemy's one, two, three game plan. Can I tell you it's the same game plan that was, that was implemented against Jesus in the wilderness. When he says, turn these stones to, to bread that you might feed your flesh. Look at all the kingdoms of the earth. I'll give them to you. Lust of the eyes. Prove to me your God. Prove it. Pride. Pride. And then... Here it is again. It's the same old thing that the enemy plays against us. So at the end of verse 6, when and a tree desirable, desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So he didn't lie in that respect. Something took place here. Can I tell you what took place here? A change in status. A change in awareness. Their whole life changed in an instant. We call this in Christianity the fall. Why is it the fall? Because they were once here and now they're somewhere 
far lower than where they were. Where were they before? No shame. No guilt. They had everything they needed. They had perfect relationship with God. And in one instant, everything was interrupted. What kind of awareness? Now, now, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring to you my message right now. That way you can, you can make sure and follow with me. We're going to talk about the fall. Then we're going to talk about sacrifice. Sacrifice leads to life. But this middle point of sacrifice, I want you to pay very, very close attention. Because in that point, we'll see that sacrifice requires trust. Another way for saying trust is faith. You have to have trust or faith in someone to have what? Relationship. And ultimately, when man fell, they fell in their relationship to God. Think about this. Their life was going to drastically change. It did drastically change. They were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. First time they tried to cover up what had changed. What had changed? They had fallen in their state. They were different. They were fallen now. They tried to cover it up with fig leaves. And they heard the sound, verse 8, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Number two, second time they tried to cover their fallen state. They jump in the bushes. Okay, fig leaves first, second, jump in the bushes. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Can I ask you, does the Lord know where they are? He knows exactly where they are. What is the question meant to do? It's meant to connect in their minds, wow, something has drastically changed, and it hasn't changed for the better. I used to have no intimidation of God. Now I'm scared to death, and I'm hiding in the bushes trying to cover my nakedness. Something has changed, and God is saying, where are you, Adam? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said... Who told you you were naked? I wish I had time to preach on all of this. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you? You should not eat. Then the man said, the woman who you gave me. Third time he tries to cover up. Now I, I can't do this. I can't run and hide. Now I'm busted. And I, I try to cover it up by blaming, right? The woman whom you gave to me, right? Keep going. She gave it to me to eat. Verse 13, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent covered. Figs, one. Bushes, two. Blaming, three. They tried to cover up. Now verse 16, the curse. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrows and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Notice the words he highlights here. Great 
multiplied sorrow, pain. Do you see the change of location? Where once they were here, no pain, no sorrow, God protected them, provided for them, they had perfect harmony. Can you see why God said, where are you? He wanted them to connect. I'm not in paradise anymore. Something has changed. And God here is proclaiming the change for them. Why is God telling them what has changed? He's telling them what has changed because they need to come up to speed quick. They need to come up to speed real quick. Watch, you'll see. To man, he says this, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herbs of the field. He goes on to say, by the sweat of your brow, and then he finishes by saying, you're dust. In fact, you're going to go back to dust. Come on, guys. How many of us are, are, feel it every day? Oh, man, the dust is calling us, huh? The dust is calling us. Some of you are going, ah, dude, you're 21. You wait, and it'll happen sooner than you think. I can remember someone saying that, dude, you're 24. And I thought, man, I've got forever before I'm 50. Then I, I go to bed, I, I, I wake up, and I'm 50. And it happens just like that because, but let's keep going. Now, verse 21 is very, very important. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin. So he says, it's not going to be fig leaves. It's not going to be the bushes. It's not going to be you blaming. You're going to understand that only I can cover you. He's hinting at something, but we'll get there later. Now watch this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him, who? Man, out of the garden. You got to get out and start tilling, working for your living. Verse 24. So he drove man out. He put a cherubim, that means an angel, to guard the garden so that man could not come in and eat of the tree of life and stay in his fallen state for eternity. So the fall, the fall, cursed, pain, hard, work, shame, sorrow, fear, do you see the change in location? Do you see how, but why is this important? Why am I bringing this? It, it, there's a point. Stay with me on this. So when they're faced with this, they have a couple of choices. One is to capitulate. What does it mean to capitulate? Well, I put the definition up here. It means to cease to resist. That means I'm, I'm going to stop resisting. I'm just going to, I'm just going to give in. I'm going to surrender. You want me to show you what that looks like? I'm done. I'm done. There's no point. Come on, how many of us have ever thought of that? Am I the only genius in the room that thinks like, you know what, that's an option. Just to be like, this is so hard. I'm just going to give up. You know, there's a lot of people giving up in all of our major cities. You see them. They just, they just give up and say, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm done. But you know what's so interesting? Life has a way of showing you that's not a good idea. It does. At least I find out that's not a good idea right quick because I get hungry fast. And I realize, like, I like to eat. 
therefore, I better do something. And some of you are saying, Pastor, are you against homelessness? No, I'm not against homelessness. What I'm saying is that God very, very specifically says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Because this harshness is to move us towards something. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. It's with a purpose. What's God's purpose? He wants you to understand you're in a different location now, baby. It's time to do it a different way. You can't just capitulate. You can't just pursue pleasure and say, you know what? I'm just going to follow my my instincts. I'm just going to follow my impulses. I'm going to live for the moment. Come on. How many of you know that there has to be a better alternative? Think about this with me for a second. If you just sit on the beach all day drinking Mai Tais, at some point you figure out that the hurricane means you should have a shelter. That when you've had your fill of coconuts, you might want something else to drink or eat. And that you have to go out and work for it. Work for it. Is there another alternative? One more powerful, more compelling. Is there a better way? See, when you're driven out, exiled, banished, and you have to deal with the curse, the pain, the hardship, the sorrow, the work, the shame, the fear, you start to pay attention quick. What do I mean by that? I mean, God was giving you a hint in 21. Watch the hint. Also, for Adam and his wife, that's Eve, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Said, no, 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 no. Watch the way I want you to handle this new change of status. I want you to understand it takes what? It takes what? God is hinting at something. Let's keep going. So you have the fall. You have this awareness that things are different. We're not in Kansas anymore. And now we've got to face this thing called the future. Come on, when you're in paradise, does the future really a thing? No. Every day is like the day before, and there's no challenges. I mean, God provides everything. But now you're under this curse. The future, like Dr. Jordan Peterson says, is that place you go to die. No, think about it. That future is where you get older and things fall apart. That future is when the hurricane comes and wipes you off the beach. The future is when the drought comes and your crops fail. The future is when you got to provide for it to eat. And and how many of us have ever watched some of these shows like Naked and Afraid? Am I the only one that likes these crazy, like alone? I, I got into that show alone. And then you started going like, I think I can do that. You know, and everybody thinks they can do it until they're like, you got to get out there and do it. And you realize like it takes hard work. And you know what I learned from these shows? You can't rest for a moment. Like as soon as you get kicked out of the plane, you got to go, baby. Can you imagine as soon as they kicked out of the garden, they got to, they got to go, baby. Oh, think that night's coming. The next day is coming. Hunger is coming. Disease is coming. Weather is coming. Everything is coming. Quick. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. How long do you suppose it took for them to connect the dots? I'll give you an example from my own girl's story. 
So my daughter Raquel is out of the garden, so to speak. She's tending her own garden now. She got married to Christian, my son. And so um, my daughter Evelyn's 10 years younger. She's still in daddy's garden, so to speak. And so they were out shopping, doing something, and I agreed to pay for it. So Evelyn looks at Raquel and says, just use daddy's card. And uh, Raquel goes, what are you talking about? And Evelyn pulls out the card and goes, you don't have one of these? <laughs> and, then, and then Raquel tells Evelyn, no, no, baby girl. When you get out of the house, you're not going to have one either. <laughs> and the look on her face. Come on. Does someone know what I'm talking about when God said, give me the card back, give me the keys back, give me everything that belongs to me, and you got to make it on your own now, baby. How long did it take them to connect the dots? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Oh, they had to come up to speed real, real quick. So we're talking about a fall. We're talking about awareness. We're talking about the future. We're talking about delayed gratification. Everyone has come to the point where you understand that delayed gratification means discipline. Discipline, it means that you can make your future better by what you do today. And if you don't waste the time, if you put in hard work, if you manage it and think about the future, you can actually redeem the future. What is God hinting at? What is he pointing them toward? I, let me give you a hint. Maybe the guys will flicker it a little bit. You know, it, 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 he's pointing toward something, is he not? He's saying, no, no, you can make things better, but it's going to take discipline. It's going to take Delayed gratification, that means every businessman, every businesswoman knows that you save now so that you can start something to provide for your future. You go to school now so that you can have a future. You save back some of the seeds so you have something to plant for your future. You always have to be pointed towards the future. Why? Because this harsh world we live in tries to teach us about sacrifice. Sacrifice. In fact, the very next chapter, chapter four, is all about sacrifice. You have two brothers, the very first two brothers. Their story unfolds like this. Second verse of chapter four. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn. Now, now notice the difference. One, when he gets around to it, when the time came about, he just did something. The other brings his first. His first. Now, what does this tell us about sacrifice? Watch. Watch. Abel also brought the first of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Verse six, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why are you looking ugly in my presence? 
Come on, parents. One of the worst things you can do is allow sorry attitude. It's worse than bad behavior. Nothing would get me a whooping faster than a bad attitude in my dad's presence. Why? Because he knows that the attitude is a matter of the heart. Behavior could be just a simple mistake. Like when I broke a few windows, thinking I was Babe Ruth. I got caught up in the moment. But the bad attitude of not caring that I broke the windows really got me in trouble. Does that, does that make sense to you? So, so watch. Let's keep going. He says, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not also, will you not be accepted? That means I'll accept you too. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. So you're in this fallen state, and he says, shows that sacrifice brings forth the redemption of God, the blessing of God. But one of them gets blessed and the other doesn't. Could it be that God is showing us that real sacrifice has to be selfless? Selfless. If not, it's not sacrifice. It's self-servingness. I'm doing it to keep up with my brother. I'm doing it so that I can get something back. I'm giving because the pastor made me feel guilty. No, how about do it because you love the Lord. And when you sacrifice in this manner, then God changes you, redeems you, begins the work in you. And so God is saying, you have brought forth something that is not sacrifice. I'm pointing you towards something, Cain. And unless you realize this, that I'm not going to bless your selfishness. And you know what came out? His selfishness came out. As soon as God answered him, boy, he rose up and he killed his brother. The ultimate act of selfishness. Now, what does this show us? God curses him and says, you're going you're to be a fugitive from here on out. And everywhere you go, you're going to have hard time with relationships. Because at the end of the day, doesn't it take sacrifice to have real relationships? Isn't it true? If you're always looking after yourself, are your friends going to see that? Come on, engage me. Isn't that true? But the more you give, the more you have friends. Oh, this is a beautiful thing that God is doing here, is it not? Could it be that the Lord is saying, the Lord is saying, you fell, there's the fall. There's sacrifice, but with sacrifice, I'm going to show you how to really live. I'm going to show you how to live with others. I'm going to show you how to make your future better. I'm going to show you how to redeem what the enemy has stolen from you. I'm going to show you, but it's going to take sacrifice. See, what he's saying is, I want you to learn to deal with others the way you want them to deal with you. Isn't that true? I want you to learn to sacrifice for others because you want others to sacrifice for you. And it makes you a better person. It makes them a better person. There we go. See right there. You should learn to deal with others and treat them the way you want them to treat you. But this takes what? It takes trust, doesn't it? The problem with this is that others are so bad. Come on, I know that's what you're thinking. It's not me, it's them, pastor. I don't know if I can trust them. 
See, I had this boyfriend once. I had this girlfriend, my wife, my brother, even my pastor. And, and, and we, we learn right away that, that trust is a hard thing. If only I could deal with someone, come on, stay with me, who I could really trust. Isn't that the truth? If only I could deal with someone I could really trust. But am I someone that someone could really trust? See, if I have to be honest, I'm no better than the people I deal with. And so the sacrifice that God has me doing is making me a little better, but it's also making me more cynical. And I start looking at people going, I don't know if I can really trust you. Maybe it's because I can't really trust myself. And here's where the, the, the Bible shifts on us and, and takes us to an amazing story right there in Genesis of Abraham. Anyone know the story of Abraham? Isn't it about sacrifice and, and trust? See, this idea of there's only someone I could really trust. We find it in Abraham. He can really trust God. If there's that someone, isn't it God that we can really trust? But this is the thing. How do we know how to really trust if we can't trust ourselves? This is where it gets really sticky. But God steps forward and says, Abraham, you can really trust me. In fact, you've always wanted a son, and so I'm going to give you a son. And after a, an entire lifetime of wishing and waiting, he gets that promised son, and he knows that it was God that provided it. And then God comes to him and says, but this is what you need to understand, Abraham. That, that if we're going to redeem this life, I'm going to have to be your most important thing. And you have this son now, and you're really enamored with him, so I'm going to have you sacrifice your son. And he goes up on that mountain, and he's about to plunge the, the dagger into his son's heart when God stays his hand and provides a substitute, a ram caught in the thicket, and so you have this idea that God puts forward that he's pointing to something. That sacrifice makes life better. That sacrifice redeems things. But this is the thing. That sacrifice is built on trust. Another word for trust is faith. And so when you put your faith in God, you actually start to establish that relationship you lost. And that's called life. Life. Watch this. Let me ask you a very important question. What is the most, most valuable thing you can give? Your life. So he's been pointing to the idea that if you sacrifice, you redeem the future. And so you put little sacrifices forward, you redeem a little bit of the future. It becomes a little better. You put bigger sacrifices, you get better future. Is it possible for you to put a huge, I mean an ultimate sacrifice forward and redeem all of your future? No, because I'm not capable of putting forth that kind of sacrifice. See, I'm limited, pastor. 
And even if I give my whole life, I still, I'm still the problem. I know that I'm not enough because I'm not just talking about any future. I'm talking about the future. You know what future I'm talking about? I'm talking about that future that haunts every one of us. What happens that, that last day here on earth? When I have to walk from this earth into eternity, what about that future? What about my fallen state? And now I don't face a father. I face a living God who judges me perfectly. See, I want you to be sober-minded because so many people say things like, I'm a pretty good person. Come on, church. We've learned on that, right? So do you think you're a good person? Oh, yeah, I think I'm a great person. Have you ever lied? Oh, yeah, I've lied. How many? Once a day, once a day for the last 20 years, that's thousands upon thousands of lies. And I'm not just talking about an outward lie. I'm talking about a lie of your heart, like where you know that even your motives aren't exactly pure. See, and if you can't be exactly pure in your motives, then watch, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me, watch me. Then your sacrifice, is it more like Abel's or Cain's? Will your sacrifice be... No, we just talked about lying. How about stealing? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours? Yeah, I did. Have you ever looked at a woman or a man or anyone with lust in your heart, had a sexual thought about them, you've just committed adultery? We've just covered three of the Ten Commandments and you've struck out already. And you're going to face this amazing God. Oh, no, 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 I need a sacrifice, but where do I turn for this sacrifice? Where do I turn for this sacrifice? Could it be that God was hinting at something? That God's been pointing at something? That God's been saying, no, this world, hard as it is, I'm going to use it for my glory. I'm going to use it to show you something. I'm going to use it to bring you to a point where you can call out to the living God for hope. Oh, I love this part of the message. I love this part of the message because sacrifice begets faith and faith begets relationship and relationship begets life. Was God just teaching Abraham about relationship? He was teaching him about relationship, but not just any relationship, a redeemed relationship, a relationship that was fallen until God fixed it. God fixed it. So this is where we end ultimate sacrifice to bring forth the ultimate future. We said you have to give yourself. But if you're imperfect, what would be the ultimate sacrifice? A perfect human being dying. But pastor, can I tell you, that's not the ultimate. Giving yourself, but what about giving your child? That's an ultimate sacrifice. Can I tell you, God did them both. In one, the father gave his son and the son gave himself. He walked a perfect sinless life. He died to redeem your life so that you might have a future. What do I have to do? You believe. Abraham believed and it was credited to him for righteousness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Watch Romans 4. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him 
for righteousness. Abraham believed. Notice what the Bible is saying here. You want to connect with true love? You want to redeem your future? Yes, be disciplined. Yes, work at your life. But I'm talking about your ultimate future. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's what the Bible says right there in Romans 10. Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, believe like Abraham did, that you're willing to give it all for him. All for him. Oh, there's so many more things I can bring up, but this is the best place to introduce real love and to say, you can redeem your ultimate future by believing in Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I used to think I was a good person, but you're kind of showing me that maybe I'm not, that I've lied and I've taken some things that, let me ask you a couple more. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? Used it in a disrespectful way as a curse word? Well, the Bible says, that he will hold no one who does that guiltless, but they are punished, they, they deserve the death penalty. So we're talking about lying, stealing, adultery, using the Lord's name in vain. Whew, at least I've never murdered. Well, Jesus said if you've ever cursed someone or spoken ill about them, you've murdered them before your heavenly father, because that's how high his standard is. So we're talking about all of these sins. What do I do? How can I sacrifice enough? You cannot, and that's why he sent his son. But he showed you this world requires sacrifice. This sin requires sacrifice to redeem it. He paid that sacrifice to wash you white as snow of your sins. Will you believe it? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, is there anyone here that wants to accept Jesus Christ and say, I put my faith in you, Lord, for my ultimate future? Right here, right now, I raise my hand and I declare, you are my sacrifice, Lord. I believe. Would you just raise your hand? I see your hand right here, I see another hand. I see another hand back here. I see hands here in the front, right over on this side, a couple hands. I see your hand, sir. Yes. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Would you just pray this simple prayer? Father, I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. I declare what I believe in my heart. Lord Jesus, you are the Son of God and the sacrifice that redeems my life. From this moment on, I put my full faith and trust in you, Lord Jesus. Make things new. Holy Spirit, would you enter my life 
And from this day forward, lead me and guide me and seal me to the day I meet my Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you prayed that prayer, you've walked from darkness into light, death to life. And can we just congratulate all those that prayed the prayer? We love you. We thank you for believing. We want you to sign up for baptism and get involved in our discipleship ministry. And now we celebrate what he did for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken. Thank you for your blood that was shed and is the ultimate sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, I love you. Have a great day.